Hello and welcome to Be a B2B Leader. I'm your host Felician and today my guest is Sam Kinley, the VP of Demand Generation at Refine Labs. In this episode, we'll talk with Sam about the role of communication in our careers, we'll learn about the importance of internal marketing and how we should communicate with management. Sam will also tell us about the framework you can use if you want to implement new ideas. So, let's get started. Sam, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. You've you've teed me up for a big conversation. Hopefully, uh, I'm able to live up to those expectations here. I'm sure you will live up to it because <laughs> we've talked about this before, just a little bit. But still, please tell me, what should every B2B leader know about communication? Yeah, it's... It's where the magic happens. You know, it's one of the most underrated aspects of just business, life, anything in general. The ability to communicate is something that I think has has gone under the radar as we just get more marketing technology, data, everything else. People just start to overlook it's It's gone from the ability to communicate an idea to here's the data, here's the data, here's the data. But if you're talking to, you know, three different people, that data could mean a heck of a lot, or it can mean absolutely nothing because they don't understand it. So um, communication is, is ultimately the ability to connect the dots from here's the data to here's the data, here's the insight from it, and here's the action that needs to stem as a result of it. So that's what I've what I've really learned over the, the, the bit of my career and has helped just, you know, in any conversation from talking to a peer to your, your executive leadership. That's such a great point because we always get obsessed with the data. That at one point we just forget that, yeah, we should look at it from a different lens and how it will impact the business, what we can do with it, basically. Because, yeah, when you see that the cost per click is going down, it's double down on that. But mm-hmm. that shouldn't always be the case. Yeah, yeah, no, you're spot on. What can you tell me about the communication with the CEO and other people in management? Because those are conversations that not everybody is ready to have. And sometimes they can be difficult. Yeah, I've learned this one through trial and error, mostly error for the first many years of my career. Um, the light bulb moment ultimately for me is that your CEO and leadership, they probably don't care about the metrics that you care about. And that's no fault of their own. That's not a bad thing. Honestly, they shouldn't. They're pretty far removed from your day to day. You have a job. They want to delegate it down to you. But we're marketers, so you know we get excited over things like click-through rates, CPMs, cost per conversion. Now go talk about those three things to your leadership, and they're just like, "What's a CTR? What's that even mean? Like, why is that important?" And that last question is when the light bulb really went off. I was like, "Oh, they don't know that." You know, you and I can tell a difference—a 0.6 percent click-through rate versus a 0.2 click-through rate. Like, that's a world of a difference to us. To them, they're like, "That's still less than one percent." Is that? Are we talking? Is that bigger? Or what's that mean? So. Um, what they really want to know is like, how does your work as a marketer impact the things that they care about? So what do they care about? Revenue, pipeline, customer retention, other larger strategic initiatives. So if you're able to connect the dots from some of those things like CTR, CPMs, conversions to those, that's when you'll start to, to be able to bridge the gap to them and they'll be more interested in what it is that you're working on. Sometimes you forget about that and just show the... Yeah, the things that the software shows us. Yeah, without... 100%. So, yeah, and it's just funny. It's like that's when you can can start to gain their trust effectively and, and get them to buy into the strategy that you want to run. So 
Uh, one that I always use in the example top of mind, everyone thinks of Refine Labs is like switching from lead gen to demand gen, right? So if you go to your leadership right now and you say, I want to switch from lead gen to demand gen, they're, they're probably going to shut it down because to them, it's like, isn't, isn't that the same thing? Like, what's that mean? They don't necessarily know or have been educated about it. So what you need to do is you need to show and communicate the difference between the strategy so that they can understand what it means relative to the things that they care about, the revenue. So if you go to them and say, we're going to drive less leads for our company, I can tell you that they're going to laugh you out of the room. You and I know from demand gen, like, yeah, less leads, but, you know, more pipeline revenue from the quality. But if you don't add that context to them, they're, they're probably going to think that you're crazy and wonder how you even got a job in the first place. So you need to communicate to them and show them, illustrate to them, you know, less leads because we're going to have higher conversion rates. So although we used to have 500 leads in a month and we'd have 50 opportunities, now we're going to get 100 leads per month and still have 50 opportunities because we're focusing on the right fit people, everyone else. So those conversion rates will be improved. We're going to have a faster sales cycle. We're going to have higher ACVs. So we're going to have more revenue for you. That's when the light bulb goes off for them because you've just translated why what appears at face value to be a bad thing to them. You've educated them to say, oh, okay, you're telling me this is going to be more revenue for us. You have my interest now. But what if you convince them to yeah, make that change, but then the results don't come? Like, How do you communicate that? Yeah. So a big part of communication is also setting expectations early on. So one thing that we like to do with, with clients that come into us is we say, this is what the next nine to 12 months are going to look like. Month one, you know, you're not going to see any changes in results. We're going to get the foundational stuff running um, and really go from there. Over the first quarter, here's the, the five metrics that we're going to look at that are going to be indicators to the pipeline revenue. But we know that it's typically one to two quarters when you're really going to start to see that meaningful impact. So the reason that this lands well with leaders is because you're giving them a timeline. You're showing that you've seen it work in, in other instances. So by laying the groundwork of we're going to get pipeline in two quarters around this date is when we should expect it. Here's the indicators that are going to show if we're on the path to it versus, I don't know, maybe, maybe next month, maybe 90 days, maybe a year from now. We'll see it. It's supposed to work. But if you lead with that, again, that's not going to work. So that's where we say, you know, Setting those expectations early and, and coming with a confident and showing them the data that you'll be looking at to analyze it, that's how you're going to have some more of that trust as well. That's the thing that everybody has to acknowledge, that marketing takes time. Like, you won't see the results in two weeks. Like, maybe if you do a campaign that stands out from everybody else, but probably you don't have the budget for that. Yeah, it's I've I've seen it. But it's very, very rare, um, you know, incredibly rare. And often it's due to just like luck, market conditions, everything else, having an incredible product that, you know, you, you just stand out right off the bat. But yeah, more often than not, it's just the, it's going to take time. You're in B2B, people are in a year contract, a three-year contract, budget cycles are coming up. So it's not something that's just, oh yeah, let's go invest $50,000 in this product because I feel like it. I saw an ad once. It doesn't work like that. So yeah, the... The level setting on time is a big part of it. And that was just a part of the communication because it was about the management. But there's also the the other side of the coin. So your coworkers and other employees. And how important is the internal marketing in general? Yeah, it's that's another underappreciated area. It's something that I continue to work on this day. I'm far from expert and I've learned from many of my managers, mentors over the years, and I've seen how well they do it. But the, the biggest, 
moment for me when I realized it was, I, I kind of asked myself, am I being a lone wolf with this or are my teammates excited by the work that I'm, that I'm doing? And so when we're kids going through school, we're taught, show your work in math, show how you got from, you know, this equation to your answer. We lose it along the way. So when you think about marketing is how do you generate excitement about the things that you're working on and the upside that it can lead to? So when I think about communication with coworkers, it's understanding what are they working on? What am I working on? Is there an opportunity to work together? Are there experiments that we can try out with one another? Um, am I being a good teammate and just, hey, I'd love to join your calls, join your meetings, hear what you're focused on and see if there's a better way that that I can help understand if there's something I can do to tie into your efforts. And so thinking about marketing sales, this is a very strong one here for so often because of attribution company goals it's marketing has to source this percent sales has to source this percent and you know there's no real collaboration because it's marketing does this handoff to sales whereas when we work with organizations where sales we're going to them and saying we're not going to give you just a bunch of leads to follow up on but we want to know what are the best opportunities what's winning why are we losing deals who are the key people that you're talking to early in the process late in the process what are the objections that you're facing we can start to work with them to say okay cool we can make uh, content campaigns that speak to this problem. We can start to focus our targeting on these people since they're engaging earlier on in the process. So um, part of that is, I don't want to call that internal marketing per se, but that's just, you know, general communication skills with one another. And then the internal marketing comes from, you know, we're piloting this program with this one sales team that's focused on the US. Here's what we're, what our hypothesis is. Here's what the experiment is. If it goes well, we'll anticipate well this kind of result. And if it goes well, we can scale it internationally to the full company, to everyone else. That's where the internal marketing comes in and having the excitement behind that and getting people's eyes on knowing like, oh, there's this really cool experiment. Let's see how it goes. Let's hear about it from, you know, these different people. That's where you can really start to create that flywheel effect. So do you think that we should kind of do something like building in public, but inside the companies to just... Yeah inform everybody about the campaigns that are going on, the ideas that we have, like, I don't know, we started working on a new ebook, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, no, it's, there's a fine line there because it depends on the time and the place for it, right? So mm -hmm. if there's a monthly meeting or a quarterly meeting, look at who's in the room and what would be relevant for them to know about. If there's sales people in the, in the meeting, then yeah, talk about that experiment. If it's all marketers in the meeting or other things, it's like, that's where you want to figure out what is it that you want to talk about, how in depth or high level do you want to talk about? Um, it's it's a it's a tough skill to, to start to work on, but you'll kind of know it when you see it. That's why I say just like, go ask your manager, your manager's manager, if you can go be a fly on the wall in one of their executive leadership meetings or a higher level manager meeting and hear how people position what their team's doing, what's working, what they're focused on, and you'll start to get a sense of who's really good at it, who's okay at it. And then you can use that to tailor your approach for how you'd want to be able to do this when you start going about it. I love it. Like, I believe that internal marketing is even more important because, yeah, marketing as a discipline, it can impact all areas of business. It's not only sales, but it's also recruitment, it's retention, it's, yeah, like, it's finance, it's everything, basically. Yeah, yeah. No, it really is. Having a strong brand and, and what people want to associate with. That's yeah. all the things that you just touched on there. Yeah, and the more people you're friends with inside the company, the more people that are willing to help you in building that brand, yeah, the stronger you become in the market, basically. It's yeah. simple as that. But do you think it should be 
yeah, it should be the responsibility of mar- of the marketing team to engage all those people, or should that come from the top down, so from the management, etc. To me, it's always been one of those lead by example. I don't know who it has to come from, but usually it's if you model the behavior that you want to see more often than not, it'll people will adopt it at a better rate. If you go and tell your employees you need to post five times a day on LinkedIn, it's going to generate leads for us or whatever. Like you're going to have garbage posts, not a lot of effort into it, very lackluster, and it's going to come across as just like you're another skeezy brand trying to leverage, you know, come check out our website or whatever the post is. Whereas if you have a couple leaders who practice what they preach, you know, they're not telling the team to do it, but they model the behavior. They're going out and creating content. They're posting on LinkedIn or, you know, being on podcasts. You'll be inspired, motivated by it because you're seeing like that's accepted. They're not telling anyone to do it, but you're seeing the results of it when like, for example, how'd you hear about us? When you start to see like, oh yeah, I heard your CEO on this podcast. I saw your CEO post this on Reddit or Quora or Twitter, you know, that's where you can start to be like, oh, that'd be really cool if, if I could, you know, put my put my name in and, and start doing some some things like that and see what that could do. And then if you have those quarterly meetings and mention that, yeah, people see it, you communicate to the whole public, like more people will join in. Yeah, exactly. You're spot on. It's simple, but difficult for so many companies. <laughs> the simple things are, you just overlook them. We overthink them. And it's like sometimes simple is just it's simple for a reason. And if you do the simple things well, then it will make a disproportionate amount of your results. Yeah, like it's kind of like always sticking to the fundamentals. Like with marketing, technology took the world by storm, but now we are going back to the fundamentals and it's working. Mm -hmm. And the same with communication. Like if you are better at communicating with people, go read the book by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You'll do much better in business and in life yeah but i'm i'm right there with you human psychology it doesn't matter if you're in business if you're in medicine if you're you know in in sport whatever it is you always have to know how to interact and engage with other humans and some yeah as marketers we sometimes have ideas that yeah that it's hard to get buy-in on and how can we work with our managers directors to yeah, convince them that we should implement this idea. Yeah, that's always fun. Um, <laughs> a lot of companies, a lot of companies are scared of change, whether it be process, strategy, you name it. You propose a change, you're often going to get things like, whoa, whoa, slow down there for a second. Walls are going to go up. Why do we want to change? Prove it. What's going on? Um, you know, it could be because it, the initial strategy is something that your manager came up with and then they're proud of it. They don't want to see that there's a better way or it simply could just be your new strategy is going to require more work or additional work from people that are like, you know, I, I just kind of want to do what I'm doing now. It's good for me. I don't want to add more to my plate. So what I found to work well is instead of saying, I want to run this new strategy and really coming in bullheaded with it, say, I want to run a test. I have a theory that this is going to improve the performance of, you know, say whatever whatever result it is that you expect, but just want to try this out. See what happens. Um, removes the fear of a hard change because you're proposing it as a test, as an mm-hmm. experiment. And you can also go further and just say, hey, if it works, great. We, we can roll it out further and continue to optimize it. If it doesn't, no harm has been done. We can revert back to what we were doing before. So just bringing the guard down with setting it up like that. Small word, that's one sentence, right? Let's test it out. 
that's all it takes. And that often will will help to get your manager to be like, okay, like I see where you're coming from. You want to improve this. You're coming from a good place. So once you get that, just outline what you want to do, what's needed for it. So you'll need to do the heavy lift here since this is something that you want to roll out. But what's your hypothesis? What are some of the data points that you're going to use to validate it? And then what's the timeline to getting to the insight or knowing if, if it's going to work or not? The thing that you mentioned with bringing the guard down, I think it's so important like for careers because sometimes you have to be humble and just show that you don't have all the answers, but you have to try things out to know if it will work or not. Like with marketing, like some things will work, others will never work and you will never know about it until you test it. Yeah, and I will say one interesting thing um I don't know. i'm a big fan of of some of robert green's works i don't know if you've ever read any of those but like 48 laws of power just finished okay. one <laughs> yeah so it's really interesting because it's it's ultimately like learning how humans operate motivations and everything else so say we have you want to try out this new strategy but your manager implemented the strategy before or someone above them let them take the credit if you're young like you know what if it works out well let them have it at the end of the day it's it's yeah. your process it's what you want to do you know how to do it and they know that you're the one that's done it so once you get your your ego out of it a little bit and you just say you know my goal here is to get this new strategy in place because it's going to lead to better results for the company over time obviously if you're thinking that way you're going to continue to grow you'll be able to take this on in your in your next role as you as you keep developing but when you're at a big organization sometimes you just have to learn to to you know, check yourself a little bit and say, what do I want to accomplish? What's needed to do that to get the buy-in? And if it's, you know, giving my manager credit, so be it. Like, we all win at the end of the day. Like, you have to put away the ego more often than you think. There is this book by Ryan Holiday, Ego is the Enemy. And yeah, this title just resonates so often. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, it's, it's part of just... The dynamic of if you want to get things done, you have to to think beyond yourself and go from there. But on our previous call, you mentioned a nice framework. Like if you want to get things done, it was communication, insight, insight, recommendation, and then mentioned how you're going to do it. Like, could you go through it in a bit more detail? Yeah. So let's, let's put an example with this just to add some more context to it. So... Let's say you're um, you know, a digital marketing manager. You might be looking at a campaign and report out on something like, we had a click-through rate of 0.5%, and then that's your, your data point. Most marketers would leave it at that. They just put it in the report, like highlight, low light, you never know. So 95% of the room, if you share that in like a monthly performance report, they're going to have no idea if that's good or bad. So what this communication does when you go from communication to insight, insight recommendation is you're going past simply regurgitating data points that were spit out of a platform and then adding more to it. So <laughs> now it goes from data point, we had a click-through rate of 0.5%. This is a lot higher than what we normally see. So what we believe led to this was we ran new messaging in this campaign. It was the same audience that we did before. It was the same spend levels. We just modified who we were targeting with it. <laughs> so my recommendation from here is let's put more spend behind this and let's iterate it off of this message in the next round. We're seeing higher engagement and we believe it's from changing our messaging from all about our, our features to calling out problems that our ICP frequently sees. So that's where you go from, again, just click through rate to what do we think is, is causing it and what are we doing with it? And that's where you'll get a lot of the team excited and, and just be able to take your communication on the next level and 
educating the team and sharing that insight across the, the organization. I'm a marketer, so I know that sometimes you can blame everything on the algorithm. So let's say the comp- yeah, the campaign performed poorly and you didn't get the right results. Like, should you, I know you should always be open, but uh, should you mention that, for example, there were changes in the algorithm that could have impacted it or just say that it didn't work, we'll try something new? Yeah, it depends on... Um, where you're playing. I mean, if you're talking about the algorithm from a paid standpoint, that shouldn't really be a crutch. If it's organic, mm-hmm. yes, we know that, you know, if you link to an outside URL in the in the post of your organic post, you're going to have a much lower reach. The company profiles have a much lower reach than individual profiles. So I would just ask you there, like, what's the context of, of this performance? Is it organic? Is it paid? And then start to look into that. Most of my career, I've been focused on organic. And I've seen like just the algorithm change in yeah, week by week and the reach drops completely. Like I've had one month where the company page just performed perfectly. Like I've seen the growth. It went from like, yeah, it was a few thousand to a few dozen thousands. And like, I finally cracked it. I have it. And then the next month, then straight to the ground like before. And it's difficult to have those conversations. You've put in the work to understand it. You've put in the work to make it work. And when you come with the results, you have to show that it's in the bottom. Like, yeah. It's so not I would say, I would say to you, I just gave a positive example. This is kind of yeah. a negative example. Like our, our organic results are tanking. That's the data point. What's your insight? We think the algorithm changed. So what's your action or recommendation? How are you going to go about testing this? What's your theory? Why do you think this is? I think it's because we're using outside external links. I think it's because of using the company page. I would go about that and again, follow that trail of what's your recommendation to, to prove or disprove this theory. And then once you validate it, you can say, okay, we clearly need to change direction on how we've done this historically isn't going to work anymore because it's not favored by the algorithm. But here's something that we're finding that will help prop this back up. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, as I said, it's always easy to, to shine a light on the positive things, but sometimes it, yeah. it goes the opposite direction and you still have to, the same framework still works. Yeah, like that's the tricky part because more often than not, we have to look at the negative things and understand why it's like that and what we can improve. But I think it's also why it's important to be friends with the management and to communicate often with them because when you make mistakes and they understand that it's not your fault. Like that's the world we live in. Things change and you can't have an influence on everything. Then they will be more open to let you experiment. Yeah. And I'd say own it. You know, the algorithm changed. Yeah. Are you going to blame the algorithm? Or are you going to say, no, I'm going to figure out what we need to do to get back on track. And they're like, okay, yeah, he's on it. I trust him. I know he's always got something covered. So yeah, just that little bit of, of the extra initiative goes a long way. Yeah, that's a great one. What would you say? What do most CEOs get wrong in their companies? Man. Uh, I won't, don't want to go into the trusting your marketer or trusting your team. Yeah. But there is something else also. Yeah. You're going to get some CEOs mad at me and shooting me, shooting me hate messages after this or telling them what they should be doing from someone who's far from a CEO. Um, <laughs> one thing that's been top of mind for me for a while is the concept of like your TAM, your total addressable market, and your ICP, your ideal customer profile. I've seen it way too often that that, that 
board level, the CEO level, they're almost thinking that those are interchangeable. Like a big TAM means that we're going to have a big opportunity to make a lot of revenue. But what I've seen is that a big TAM does not guarantee big revenue. Um, you know, your, your TAM is anyone in the space that you can serve, but your ICP is anyone in the space that you serve and is a realistic fit for, for your product or services. So um, let's use an example of like marketing automation. So HubSpot, uh, Marketo is two of the big players. So if you look at the, the TAM in that space, it's, it's probably like in the mid, mid billions, I would guess somewhere between like three to six mil, billion. Um, every B2B company is essentially uh, mm-hmm. a possible user for it. So if we look at Marketo and HubSpot, reasons that those two, I think, are the most successful. I mean, there's Eloqua, there's other ones in the space, but usually you're seeing that those are the two biggest ones that are that are mm-hmm. coming up in. They both play in the same space, but they have two very different ICPs when you look at it. So HubSpot, they are known for working with scaling companies, um, you know, smaller organizations. Marketo is known for enterprise, um, complex customer journeys, uh, really just need more function out of the platform. So they could both technically market to the full TAM, but they've defined their ICP to know which segment they want to go after. And then they double down on that. I think that if HubSpot tried going after the enterprise, that it would fail because it doesn't have the functionality that, mm-hmm. that's definitely needed. And if Marketo goes after the small side and you've got you know, a one-person marketing ops person who's who's just starting out, it's going to be way too complicated for them and they're never going to get the full full power out of it. So being able to look at the difference between that and, and focus on, okay, well, we could serve this full thing. If you're sending ads to that wrong market, you're going to have really low retention rates, low customer lifetime value, high acquisition costs. Whereas if you focus on where you have strong fit, the strong ICP, you're going to see the better adoption, lower acquisition costs, higher lifetime value, because they're going to have what they need out of that platform in the in the long term. So it's it requires you to take a step back and really look. I really enjoy geeking out and doing things like win-loss analyses, just because you can start to get the assumptions on, you know, go look at the accounts that you win in, go into LinkedIn, see, you know, what's their revenue size? How many employees do they have? What industry are they in? And you can start to see trends around where is the the heavy majority of your revenue coming in from. And then if you go to the loss side, you can usually see in this segment, we're losing almost every time due to price, due to lack of features. And you can start to say, okay, well, mm-hmm. do we want to be focusing on them? Or is that something that's not really in our sweet spot? So we can probably just, if we keep losing them, let's, let's just exclude them from here on out and pull that spend into the more efficient audiences that we know, the more efficient ICP that's more likely to buy from us. But- do you think that's one of the biggest mistakes that companies want to sell to everyone, basically? It's part of the pitch to the board when they do the valuations yeah. and everything else is we have a, you know, we have a this massive TAM. If we own 10% of it, it's going to be this much in revenue for us. But that's where the reality is. 10% might also just be your only ICP. So you're saying you're going to capture 100% of your ICP in a year. And if, again, that's something that the three-year contract, they don't have the budget for it just quite yet. That's where you start to get into trouble. And what I'd like to say, it's like, well, Latam's good for just knowing how large is an audience, how big is the demand, or not the demand, but um, the potential. Mm-hmm. What's your ICP look like as a subset of that? And then if you have a large ICP, that's a win-win if you are if you can serve yeah. a lot of the, the TAM because they are your ICP fit. But 
that's where I, I think that they need to do a better job of just asking themselves a hard question of like, how much of this realistically could buy from us, although they're in the town. My career in marketing, it's been, what, five years almost. And I've worked mostly with software development companies and IT consulting. And I know that, yeah, those companies, they can basically work with anyone and sell to everyone, as long as you're a company. Because yeah, they will make you a website, they will make you an app, they will make you uh, yeah, a system that you need, whatever. But in that area, most of those business owners... They really they try to sell to everyone and they become a commodity. Like you look at them and everybody is the same, everybody's leading with the same pitch. They just have different logos in their presentation. And I believe that the more you narrow down, the better you are off. Because yeah, then you have a smaller ICP that you can really target, you can understand those people and you can basically appeal to their interest. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and you can also go deeper in, in those. So if you find that, you know, these are the ones that are buying and you've only captured X percent of it, well, let's put our focus on these because we know that, you know, they are the great customers for us. We enjoy working with them. They do. They're, they're not always asking for discounts or complaining about products or anything else. But um, yeah, I think that it avoids you from being spread too thin as well. Yeah. And also, if you land a huge client, let's say one of the bigger enterprises in the world, if you start working with one division, you can just land and expand into the other ones and you'll get more value out of it than anybody else. But still, there are just too many that, yeah, they work with one startup, they create an app and then move to someone different and yeah, forget about the client, basically. Yeah, yeah that's, it's unfortunate, but yeah, it's yeah. become kind of commonplace. But it happens. <laughs> yeah. So some... What would you say? What's the biggest takeaway from our conversation today? Oh man, just learn how to communicate better. Whether it be your personal life with, you know, if you have a, you know, a significant other with your family, with your friends, this is a skill that's going to translate anything, anywhere for you. Really, is just being able to, you know, talk about things, being able to be open with people, being able to get your thoughts, your point of view out there, and then be able to have it in a way that is a discussion, not a one way like we have to do it this way or someone says something you don't agree with and all of a sudden you're freaking out because you're offended or something. Be like, well, maybe they've learned something that I haven't. Let's be open to this idea and then I can marry it with my own thoughts and come up with maybe there's, there's a way where we can take this like one plus one equals three concept and make something even better out of it. Love it. It's perfect. And we should try to create those one plus one equals three situations in life as much as possible. And I'm right there with you. <laughs> and Sam, where can people find you? And please tell them a bit more about Refine Labs. <laughs> yeah. Um, best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Um, posting thoughts on there a handful of times a week. Open if you ever want to chat, shoot me a message. Um, Refine Labs. So best way to think of us is we help companies improve their revenue programs from concept to fully integrated in a consistent and scalable way. So this is something a lot of startups, mid-stage companies struggle with is we're here, how do we get to there? So helping them do that in not just a lightning strike way, but a, a consistent, scalable way is really where a lot of the value comes and that's what we help them solve for. Refine Labs is the company that's everywhere if you're a B2B marketer. So. <laughs> and last question for today, who should I interview next? 
Well, aside from every single one of my colleagues, I'm not going to say Refine Labs <laughs> person because I'm sure that you've you've heard of them by now. Um, one person I've been I've been getting a lot of value out of lately is uh, his name's Todd Kunzman. He works over at Everyone Social, but he shares a lot of really good thoughts on um, employee brands, engagement, um, remote work. So uh, if you if you haven't given him a look, I think that he's he's really interesting, especially coming from the organic side. You'd probably get a lot of value in, in chatting with him. Awesome. Thank you very much for the recommendation yeah. and for the conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, this was fun. You'll have to, we'll have to have a part two sometime. Yeah, I'm open for that. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Be a B2B Leader. If you liked this episode, make sure to leave a review in your favorite podcast app. Also, if there is something you would like to learn, let me know. After all, we are building a knowledge base for B2B.